Hello everybody and welcome back to the show. Sorry for the brief hiatus, but we had some kinks to iron out and now that we have that settled, we are back on a regular recording schedule. So yay. This week we take a look at Prey, now streaming on Hulu. The film is a prequel in the Predator franchise and is one of the most highly requested films on our slate, so we figured it was a great movie to hit the ground running with. As always, thank you for supporting the show. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to help us keep growing. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for the handle at PopSchlockPod. We do not have a TikTok, but if enough people pester me about it, it might just happen. Who knows? We also now have a Patreon, so head on over to patreon.com slash popandschlock to check out our subscriber tiers and learn how you can help keep this show running for the foreseeable future. Anyway, here's our latest installment covering Prey, directed by Dan Trachtenberg and starring Amber Midthunder. Enjoy. lives yet again yeah. we cannot be killed no one's trying to kill us i mean i feel like we're doing our best to <laughs> but we're just so inept at okay, it okay nobody's trying to kill me maybe you i don't know how many enemies you've made in the wrestling ring surprisingly few uh given how much of a jerk i can be but the the podcast lives on because despite my i i don't know uh worst attempts we're here recording again and that makes me very happy especially because in fairness we've both had really rough years yeah um and i mean honestly the last couple of weeks it's just been uh, a matter of scheduling conflicts more than anything but we're finally here and we're going to talk about the movie that we said we were going to talk about a month ago but here we are we're going to talk about prey on hulu the I almost referred to it as a stealth prequel to Predator, but uh, they they did. No, they it's an explicit it. prequel to Predator because they they tied it into uh, Predator Two very explicitly. Yeah, which I'm gonna get into, but yeah, the uh, I'm also gonna get into how I actually think Predator Two is fine. Like, it's not Predator One and it's not Prey, but I don't think that it deserves the amount of crap that it gets. I don't. I. I here's the thing. I like Predator Two. Me too. As Predator 2. Um, Actually, I saw it before I ever saw Predator 1. See, that's interesting because it's it's like my experience with uh, with Star Wars where um, the first Star Wars movie I ever actually saw was Return of the Jedi. Um, oh, and wow. Then, yeah, so... See, at least, at least Predator 2 takes puts Predator in a completely different context. So you can yeah. still at least get a basic idea of this is you what a Predator does. Predator. So... You can watch Predator 2 as a standalone and it's perfectly fine. Like, yeah. In that way. Because we'll get into with Prey, it is no longer um, fully standalone. Right. And so, yeah, we'll get into that. So, yeah. So, welcome, everybody. We're going to be talking about Prey. If you have not watched it, which the number of people who would be interested in seeing this who have not watched it uh, at least once has to be minimal because I feel like. For the longest time, my uh, my feed on all social media was just this movie. Like, that was it. Um, so I feel like we're maybe a little bit behind the eight ball on this and that uh, we're not going to have any piping hot takes that haven't already reached the airwaves. But I really want to talk about it yeah. because we've, I... we've never We've never necessarily been 
the hot take machine anyway. We're we just talk about what we like, what we wanted to like but didn't, and things like that. And people are on board, apparently. So let's, apparently, let's keep the train chugging. Somehow we have an audience. But with Prey, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that we're getting around to talking about it because we we've covered we covered the last Predator sequel. Um, whenever we were in our run at KPFT, um, we did not enjoy that one so much. So being able to talk about a Predator movie and be almost overwhelmingly positive, as I'm sure this episode is going to be, um, it's a nice change of pace because Predator as a franchise is something that is, I feel very rightfully beloved by a lot of people. Um, it's an interesting franchise. The uh, j- Just the world building that's been established through years and years of um, extended universe comics and crossovers and things like that. The Predator is an interesting uh, universe to play around in and the concept that we get here with prey just the idea of doing a predator film set in another time it seems like such a simple novel approach and yet it works like gangbusters yeah it's like i said i still think it's the second bet well probably it's i mean it still stands up with the original predator because uh it took it back to its roots as a survival horror Yes. Which, the like we talked about two seconds ago, liking the second Predator movie, which turned it into an action movie, a la what they did with Alien, what they've done with Terminator. Um, and I think looping it back around to where it's no longer an action sci-fi franchise was for the best. It, it shows us what makes the Predator so uh, enticing and interesting and scary as a monster. Yeah, and I definitely like that, and I like that the film had the uh, the wherewithal to really bear down on the idea of uh, hunting something that's hunting you, that being the central concept of kind of the frame of the story. And I won't say that the other Predator films didn't have um, an enticing hook, because... I am an unabashed, like, I am a defender of Predators. Um, I actually like that film. I feel like I'm in the minority there um, as far as Predator fans are concerned. A lot of people... Yeah, I are... didn't watch it because we'd been burned before, so... Really? Yeah, I didn't watch Predators. I've... No. Uh, that might be one to do a Vault episode on, then, because I will be okay. completely honest, it... The concept I, I greatly enjoyed, and the execution was not great. Um, and I think the biggest problem that it has is that it has that Robert Rodriguez, we filmed this in a back lot in Austin, Texas feel. It doesn't feel... You can tell the limitations of the budget, like just looking at it. It looks much cheaper than it should for something that got a wide release. The fact that... Uh, Prey was a streaming release and looks a million times better than Predators. It tells you quite a bit. But Predators had a good hook. Prey has a good hook. I feel like, honestly, that was the one thing that was missing from The Predator. Ultimately, was it, it didn't really have a sense of identity. It didn't have a sense of what it wanted to be. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it was reshot to Hell and Back. But Prey is such a 
self-assured film and it knows exactly what it wants to do every step of the way and either you as an audience member are on board with that and you're not and luckily I found myself being on board with it I would say a good 90% of the decisions that were made regarding this film I agree with wholeheartedly yes <laughs> yeah no I I I also like movies where I mean obviously um uh, wow, I don't know how to words today. Good job, me. Um, so obviously Naru, played by Amber Midthunder, uh, who is amazing, by the way. I hope to see her in more action movies. Um, I feel like she's going to break out because of this. Um, also, the uh, the actor who played her brother, uh, Dakota, Beavers. Dakota Beavers, was also amazing especially considering that i think he only has like this and maybe one or two other film credits to his name uh but he his, was a real standout as well his chemistry with amanda with amber midthunder as brother and sister i read them as that immediately oh yeah even was, without them explaining their relationship i was like these two are siblings that's that there's no way they are anything other than siblings um no, they, they just, they meshed so well. But uh, point being, pound for pound, Amber Midthunder could not physically go up against a predator. Humans just weren't built for that unless they were Arnold Schwarzenegger. But And this is no longer the 80s. <laughs> yeah, she outwitted. And I love those, I, I love the, I love watching characters like that outwit their opponents instead of just, Smashy smash. And I also have to give the, the movie credit for subverting my expectations because there were plenty of callbacks to the original Predator in this film, especially whenever you look at things with like the mud pit. Oh, things, yeah. Things like that. And so I kind of expected that they were going to run parallel, but then they, you know, they took a left turn. And I greatly appreciated that. And it helped uh, Amber Midthunder well, stand out as like her character being a different type of protagonist. And it says, it says a lot about, uh, excuse me, the state of modern film heroes. And as far as what we as audience expect to see and what we like to see out of our heroes now, um, like I said, it's, it's not the eighties anymore that Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, take on the protagonist just isn't going to work. And even no, if, don't get me wrong, I still have soft spots for those kinds of eighties action movies, but yeah, yeah, like you said, I want something different. And this gave us something that we don't get to see often. We don't usually get to see a woman action protagonist. And we don't usually get to see a woman action protagonist who's um, who survives off her wiles versus her guns or her kung fu, you know? Yeah, the, I mean, whenever you whenever you see the idea of the female protagonist in movies like this, or and I don't want to say movies like this because movies like this are actually kind of rare, but whenever you look at female protagonists in whenever they're put up in situations like this, usually they're written in a way that they come across like uh, something like Black Widow is a good example. And see, um, I think, and, and this is weird. I think Black Widow is boring. Like I actually didn't watch the Black Widow movie. Because I think Black Widow is boring. I 
don't think that movie would change your opinion of the character one bit. Um, I will throw that out there. Uh, Ouch. But like I've heard it's worth that movie watching is, because Florence Pugh and David Harbour are both awesome in it. Yeah, that movie is worth seeing for the supporting cast alone. Yeah, but I've I've just heard that like I just like I said, Black Widow is boring. They, and, they never really did anything with her before they killed her off, except yeah. Except, it it, it like, feels it, it feels watching it now like they gave her that movie as sort of a it's like sorry we didn't get to it sooner. Here you go, kid. Like that's yeah, kind of what it felt and, like. And like they, I feel like she didn't get a chance to be anything other than what she was to the men on the Avengers. So yeah, Bruce's would be lover and Hawkeye's best friend, and yeah. That's and it. I'll like I will admit that Black Widow is a film like it's it's entirely serviceable and it's enjoyable. But uh, to be perfectly frank, Florence Pugh carries that movie, and you know, going back and looking at most performances from her and most films that she's in that seems to be the case um we may not be getting any movies with her anytime soon because i think that she's gonna have to have spinal surgery from carrying the entirety of don't worry darling on her back um oh no r.i.p yeah so speedy recovery to miss flo um but as far as like uh naru in prey as a character this I saw so many, and I was anticipating it, like just looking at the marketing materials running up to the movie and knowing what I know about the internet, I knew that there would be men on internet angry. Um, and there's nothing in the world I mean, that could have prevented when are, that. When are men on inter- yeah, I was going to say, when are men on internet not angry? They find the weirdest things to get angry about, like Black Mermaids in a movie that they weren't even going to watch, which, by the way, uh, Haley Berry looks awesome. Yeah, the the problem that oh, I Haley have Bailey. with that movie, or the reservations that I have with that movie, have nothing to do with the casting because the cast seems perfectly capable. Um, I am more afraid of what the talking fish are going to look like. Like I'm afraid of what that fr- that flounder is going to be nightmare fuel, and you'll notice they haven't shown any of that in any of the teasers or trailers yet so far. That does not give me high hopes because just looking at the, uh, and I know it's a completely different situation, but looking at the CGI and the trailers for Pinocchio, which I also did not watch, um, that was enough to give me nightmares. So, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I, pray. I'm just really curious. Yeah, yes. sorry. No, sorry. We, this will have to be edited out. We've, in the final we've been we've been back thirteen minutes, and we're already like on our tenth tangent. Anyway, pray. Uh, Amber Mid Thunder, uh, strong female protagonist. Trademark hashtag whatever. Um, I knew but that it was actually, going. But well, I I think yeah, like like I I don't remember where I read this, but there should be a distinction between strongly characterized female protagonist and strong female protagonist. <laughs> Well, what I what I liked about the character of uh, of Naru was the fact that she was flawed, and so many biased incel angry men on the internet wanted to cry Mary Sue over this character because she was proficient. They don't even and know what that term means. It, it's, it, it has lost mean. all meaning. It's the same way that the right has co opted woke. It's just oh it's yeah. In- it's just infuriating to me, but Our anyway, I digress. Warrior was social justice warrior had its own very specific meaning that they've now wrecked. Way to ruin Something everything, man, baby. 
<laughs> absolutely hate language. Anyway, um, so she is a clearly defined character with very recognizable flaws, and it makes her interesting, and it makes you care about her journey, and it makes you understand what she's going through when she's put in this situation, because that's what I liked about the hook of this film. Uh, aside from the fact that, you know, we're dropping the Predator into uh, what to us would be perceived as the past, and an interesting uh, situation, which we haven't seen before, um, what I greatly appreciated was the fact that she's a different protagonist than Arnold Schwarzenegger was, different protagonist from Danny Glover, different protagonist from Adrian Brody, different protagonist from... Uh, What's his fella from The Predator? Um, um, and Boyd Holbrook, who was, yeah, by, Boyd. The way, by the who way, awesome, awesome in Vengeance, in, by the way. Yeah, he was awesome in Sandman. Yeah. Good for, I, good for, good for good Boyd. For yeah, good so, for him. Yeah. I didn't think that the, the problems with Predators were not him. No, the problems with the Predator were studio meddling and the fact that I don't even think that, uh, that Shane Black knew exactly what he wanted to do with any of the scripts um it that, that movie is a mishmash um and admittedly i have not revisited it since whenever we covered it for kpft um so maybe i if i went back i would find something to enjoy but the fact that upon my first watch i didn't find anything to hook me in and make me want to revisit it aside from a couple of interesting performances like the one by sterling k brown um it's that I feel, and this might be a controversial take, I feel like that is definitely the least of the Predator films. Um, and I include Alien vs. Predator and Alien vs. Predator Requiem in that because I can find some things that I enjoyed about those two individual films. Whereas with The Predator, to my knowledge, there's not much that would bring me back to make me oh, want to rewatch it. Another hook that I liked about this one too is that we get like a newbie Predator. Yes. As well. So while it's a very dangerous, it's a dangerous foe, but still not even sending their best out. It's, it's, you, you talked about parallels and how you thought it was going to parallel the first movie, but really the parallels that were set up were between Naru coming into her own as a warrior, as well as the predator that she was going up against. Yeah. I like that the predator seemingly was learning and adapting to the environment that he was that he was dropped into because he was basically seeking out and working his way up the food chain because he started you know like he, he sees the rabbit and the snake and he works his way up to the bear and then ultimately understands that uh humankind is th the most dangerous game um <laughs> so i understood I, that reference yeah so oh god the literature nerds are taking over again um What's so, the yeah. point of this whole series in the first place is that we can yeah, analyze it from a literary um, perspective? Basically, uh, this is me trying to apply my teacher brain to the things that uh, bring me joy because uh, I am stuck teaching the same unit for 18 weeks. And I just, like, I'm sorry, I don't love poetry that much. But you know what I do love? Predator movies. So that's why I'm here. Um so yeah, the fact that the Predator in and of itself was inexperienced brought a different hook yeah, to... Yeah, and I thought it made it interesting. Like and you said, the... there were enough callbacks to the original to make it feel... Okay, Predator movie. And it was fun little Easter eggs as a fan of, this, of the franchise for the most part. Um, but it wasn't so bogged down with lore. 
yes or anything that it it didn't stand like this still this is a movie that i could show people and be like you don't have to have watched any of the predator movies for any of this to make sense i feel like it's a very i feel like it's a very good representation of what a predator movie should be i will say that um if you like if they decide that they just want to make an anthology series where we drop the predator into different situations like I've heard people suggesting drop the predator into no man's land during world war one, or let's do Vikings versus predator or, uh, in feudal Japan or, uh, the Mongolian hordes. All of those sound amazing to me. Like I would love to watch that. Um, I feel like that's really the direction that they need to go because they're never, I don't feel like they're ever going to hit the high watermark of what the original predator was simply by virtue of when the first Predator was released um, and what it did for the zeitgeist of survival action horror that just we've hit a point in cinematic history where you're probably not going to reinvent the wheel with this franchise in that way. So it's better to take it in different directions. However, right. what I will say is, about this film, the way that things work now, if you have a franchise, you milk it to death or sometimes you just kill it for tax breaks. Yep. RIP. Um, but one thing I will say about this movie in terms of it fitting in uh, as a prequel and its place within the franchise, I do wish perhaps that it had been made with the intention of being an introduction to the franchise for people who had not seen the original Predator. Um, I still think it works as an entry point. It, I, I feel like it does. However, I also do feel like there are some things that it kind of expects you to go in already knowing. So I feel like the film benefits from if you are a fan of Predator, you will like this. I, I think you will rate this higher if you are an established fan of the Predator franchise before you see it, as opposed to somebody who's trying to get into Predator. And see, that's fair, because that is the angle that I am looking at it from. I, yeah. I I can't go back and unsee the original Predator, the original two Predator movies before seeing this. Yeah, because part of what makes this film work is whenever we are introduced to the Predator, we are supposed to draw and call back on our own recognition of what we know of the Predator, what we know that the Predator does, their modus operandi, uh, modus operandi within the universe that we've already seen like there's an established lore that is built on here, but it's kind of, they kind of expect you to already know what the predator is, how it hunts and what its honor code is. Now it's, they do a lot of show don't tell in prey to get people caught up, but I still think that the film benefits from having that background knowledge. That's fair. I mean, they are, they are very sporting types and that's a th that's one thing that I think maybe people that aren't familiar with the franchise ha don't realize is that they are not mindless killing machines killing for the sake of killing. They are noble hunters. Uh, they like they they established in the second movie. They don't kill pregnant people. Um, yeah. And in they this, they don't go after. They don't go after sick or injured or otherwise incapacitated. Like I believe in this one. It didn't really, it waited, I think, when she had her foot caught in the bear trap. Right. Because and it there, was not, it was unsporting to kill her. So, I mean, but and I, I, like, I, and I do like that a lot of it. Able to read between the lines that they are 
Um, yes, they are sport hunters, which isn't always the most honorable thing, but they still have standards. They don't just mindlessly kill. They have exactly. And yeah. while they are sport hunters, and this goes back to that, like it, like implicit versus explicit in the script um you can make a lot of inferences with regards to that honor system based off of the fact that throughout the film the predator only uses weapons that are appropriate to whatever it is hunting so like even though it could blast the ever-loving bejesus out of everybody with a laser cannon you'll notice that that sort of weaponry doesn't come into effect until the french fur trappers with their firearms arrive on the scene and puts the predator in a situation where it has to match firepower. So see, I, I also said, feel like that's something that's very easily inferred that you don't necessarily have to have a, a knowledge of the deep lore in order yeah. to, un- to pick up on that detail. Well, I'm just knowing what I know about certain film audiences and people in general, the, the ability to make inferences and the ability of a director to trust the audience to make those inferences. it somewhat feels sometimes like a dying art um, okay, like, trust, I, there are times when I don't feel trusted by the filmmaker, yes, but I wonder if it's the filmmaker or if it's executive meddling, because executives don't yeah, think we're smart. But it's like, occasionally I will, um, I will subject myself to going down the rabbit hole that is the cesspool of, like, Reddit post-release threads for certain films, just to gauge what other people are thinking about a given movie, and sometimes the amount of just basic subtext that sometimes flies over the heads of general audiences, um, it makes me understand why focus groups are a thing. I hate that focus groups exist, but at the same time, I understand why they exist within the context of modern filmmaking because, I mean, that's media literacy is not necessarily a... It's not something that is especially well taught, despite well, my best efforts. It's because we don't think that it's it's not STEM, therefore it's not important. Yeah. Let's be um, real here. That's exactly what it is. Because it's not a STEM field, nobody cares. Yeah. Um, um, coming, from, coming from a place of having now spent uh, close to a decade uh, in, um, in education, I will just say teaching critical thinking gets harder every year. Well, and I've spent over a decade working in media. And I can say that I can feel the the amount of disrespect because you nowadays when people start getting laid off at companies, it's always 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 the creative teams. It's always the writers, it's always the editors, it's always the because our work's not valued the way that it is if you have a STEM or a business degree. Let's just be real here. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's a sad reality. And that's, that could probably be like a round table discussion episode yeah. in and of itself. Well, and even if you talk to like, like, I mean, and geez, my friends, a lot of my, see, I don't necessarily touch on any particularly uh, controversial topics um, in my work, but like my friends that do death threats are a daily reality for them because of how little we just, dis- we, we disrespect media people the ones that are actually trying to say, hey, this is a problem, we need to fix it. Oh, and don't even get me started on the state of um, quote-unquote journalism in the world of professional wrestling, because we've, over the last month, um, the amount of, like, tabloid mudslinging that we've seen uh, online has been just 
astronomical and, you know, uh, just coupled with this new age tribalism that seems to permeate every aspect of fandom, it has gone completely off the rails. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and for that reason, I am glad that um, the audience that we reach uh, does not seem to have that level of vitriol. Um, They seem to enjoy the opinions that we put out there and whatever disagreements they have um, have been entirely amicable. Uh, So for that, I definitely want to take the time to thank uh, the audience that we have. Yeah, I feel like it's also... we. Let's be real. We don't have mass appeal. We're niche. We're a couple of literature nerds that were like, eh, did you know that the ways that you that you approach we literature a podcast really on Macbeth. the way that you We were the only yeah. movie podcast that covered Macbeth. Wait, we were? I think so. I did not see a single other podcast about that because I guess I was the, like I'm sure there were some like Shakespeare and literature podcasts that maybe covered it, but I don't think that there were that many film podcast that were like you know what let's cover this uh this joel cohen Macbeth movie streaming on apple tv yeah see that's the thing we're a niche and we're gonna always have a niche audience we're not gonna have mass appeal but i'm okay with that that's not what we're going for uh but that that instead i still want to get that stamps.com ad money so oh i cannot yeah i cannot wait until we get mainstream enough to start getting uh big time sponsors it'll probably happen at like the true intersection of pop and schlock which um I know Disney is, we're going back to Disney, um, Disney is releasing the live action Peter Pan and Wendy, which is directed by our good friend David Lowry, who did The Green Knight. So, um, Oh, wow, that's interesting. So that's going to be an episode. Let's yeah. see, let's I mean, see where I'm he manages to fit very, a cum rag into that one. I'm very, very curious to see uh, to see that. I wonder yeah. how much they'll rate it. I doubt he, he would want to... I don't want to see a cum rag in a movie about children. That's disgusting. That's not our target audience. Ew. Um, my, th- my thing about that is uh, I, I know like it. David Lowry is one of those directors who uh, I feel like understands the importance of adaptation in translating yeah. tr- uh, literature well, to film because I, go back and listen to our Green Knight episode, everybody. Um, his aesthetics would also serve the material well. Yeah, so I'm really interested to see that. Um, I also have a passing familiarity with uh, Peter Pan and its lineage uh, as a stage production and uh, its its history in film. Uh, so, like, I know the one little thing that uh, has already got me, like, has I wouldn't I won't say it's ruffled my feathers, but uh, one of the things that put me on notice is traditionally. Uh, the actor who plays Captain Hook is the same actor who plays uh, Mr. Darling, and that is not the case with this adaptation. So um, I know, based just off the choice of director, that it wasn't going to be a traditional adaptation, and that only further cements my view. So I'm looking forward to talking about something like that. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, um, especially, like, I'm not overly invested in Disney stuff. I'll, I will watch anything that piques my interest, but I don't, like really I, I don't go out and follow and follow what they're putting out necessarily there are certain writers and directors who are within the the disney family who i will uh i'll always like gravitate toward their work because i think that they do interesting work um but disney is a brand um i feel like 
the last year has really tested my faith in Pixar um, because I feel like even Disney does not view Pixar as the top tier animation studio that it once was. Um, so I'm a lot more pick and choose, um, you know, look at everything by an individual situation. Um, there's yeah. very few things that I'm going, that I'll say, I am a fan of this entity. I'm going to see everything they put out. Um, I'm in too deep to ever leave Marvel. Um, and I'm so looking forward to werewolf by night. Um, yeah. Oh, so I have friends that saw it at fantastic fest and loved it. Oh, uh, they can go to hell. Yeah. They I, saw like, it and all of them were like, Oh, it's, it's great. People are going to love it. And I've been pretty happy with she Hulk too. It's very, I love me some she Hulk. and Tori watch it every week. And it's, I think it might be her favorite Marvel show. Oh yeah. I, I talk, I mean, and, and again, female protagonist that's really well done kind of like prey which is the movie that we're currently talking about yeah there's a lot of there, there's a lot of okay so anytime that i as a as a white male watch a film with a female protagonist and i, I feel like i have to toe a line because I don't like speaking out of turn whenever it comes to the representation of female protagonists. Okay, that is, but, but it's almost like your co-host is mostly a girl. Mostly. Yeah, mostly. I you're mean, more, I mean, you're more like an like an eldritch being from beneath the darkest waves. Right. Um, I, I just sometimes, occasionally, um, stuff myself into a, a woman-shaped suit. The yeah. Point being, you can get my perspective. Yeah, and I feel like your I feel like your perspective. You have a lot of good perspectives on films Aww, like this thank you. because, I mean, you have you know going back to media literacy, um, you have experienced enough in a bunch of different genres to be able to compare and contrast and offer that offer that sort of insight. Um, I hate that mainstream media criticism and media journalism doesn't seem to have that focus on drawing things through context because every time we talk about a movie like this you are especially are very good at filtering it through the appropriate context well i feel and, like i feel like speaking of no offense to you as an english teacher the way that we teach media is very focused on well what do you think and that completely removes the context and the time frame and the, the people and the culture in which anything was made. Right. So, and I, I'm not a huge fan of trying to take the author out of it. And I, I think part of that, I, I wasn't always uh, a part of that movement, but lately I think because I have unfortunately seen so many people, uh, so many creative types who I at one point had a great respect for um, I've seen them turn out to be gigantic pieces of shit and that colors the lens through which you have to look at the things they create. I'm sorry. I can't entirely divorce the art from the artist. It's almost impossible for me to do that. anymore. Well, I mean, nor should you. And sometimes I feel like, death of the author and death of the artist and things are made this 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 will be something i say that's controversial i sometimes feel like the well what do you think approach to literature exists because for one thing a lot of it comes from the formalism of white dudes 
they don't want to consider the context and the experiences and the thoughts of anybody who might be from an oppressed um, from an oppressed demographic. Right. They they and can I, just I, say, well, I I can separate art from artist, or I want to put my own personal spin on it. That gives them, I feel like, what they consider an intellectual pass at actually considering the you know the people that write things. I, and I feel like this about the fact that I went to a school that was like 98% white. And imagine teaching, uh, we read Maya Angelou. Imagine teaching that to high school students and just asking them, well, what do you think? How does this reflect your experiences? Well, no, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Don't ask us how, how do you feel like this overlapped with your experience. Ask us what we learned about an experience that none of us have had. Yeah. And well, it's something, like, yeah. Well, it's like part of that's uh, something that I feel. I'm 100% with you on that. And it's yeah. like as a teacher, um, one of the things that frustrates me this year is that um, I'm working with mandated curriculum. I don't get to pick my own selections. I have, I am handed, I am handed what I am supposed to deal, what I'm supposed to teach, what activities I am supposed to do with them. And when those activities need to be uh, submitted for data review, Um, it is uh, my own personal hell. But uh, one of the texts that we're examining this unit, which, and this is so far into a tangent, but I, and I apologize, but I've got to get it off my chest. Um, one of the texts we're reading is a transcript of the 2005 commencement address that Steve Jobs gave to Stanford University. What? Yeah. I teach a group of 89% economically disadvantaged Hispanic and African American youths in a Title I school. And you're asking us to examine something like Steve Jobs' advice to a graduating class at Stanford University and asking them, how can you use this as a compass to guide your own life? And I'm sorry, but these kids cannot relate to that. What they can do is tell me how they can't relate to that. Because the students that are that were receiving that address in 2005 at Stanford University, first of all, every single one of them there probably knew who Steve Jobs was. We're so far removed from Steve Jobs' death this, at this point that everyone kind of views him as almost like this mythic figure who they don't even really know exactly what it is that he did for Apple. But that's neither here nor there relativity and the ability to connect to the media that we consume and the text that we consume is so vitally important. And one of the things that I really like about Prey, and we talked about this before we went on the air, is how the production team utilized so many people from the indigenous population yes. to bring this story to life. Yes, I wanted to talk about that. Uh, Jane Myers. Uh, is a Comanche and Blackfoot producer who was who worked on this, um, and there was a Comanche uh, language version of the movie with the actors, same actors, uh, reprising their roles. Uh, in, in so they, I actually watched the Comanche version. I haven't had a chance it to yet. Was, that is my one regret. I haven't had a chance to watch the Comanche language. And it was very exciting to people because it was the very first. Um, like major studio release that ever got a Comanche language uh, version. 
And I feel like this is something going back to, I think we talked about it on our episode where we discussed the film Hostiles. Um, uh, see, the, I was not, I was not uh, present. I was, I had a migraine that day. So yeah. My, my um, friend, yeah. My friend Anna was there. Yeah. Um, and we, we and talked Anna, a little bit about it Anna at that point, how um, there's uh, such, there seems to be a, a limited portrayal of indigenous life uh, as far as what Hollywood is willing to put out there or what they deem as marketable. So the fact that this film just went 100% all in, I it is so admirable and it adds so many layers of authenticity to it. Um, I will say, like the one one thing that caught my attention was that uh, like whenever the film started, the subtitle said the great plains and there were no planes to be found in the location shooting of this film. But aside from that very authentic feeling film. Yeah. Because love and care was put into it. The, the characters were not caricatures. No, they felt very much like people. And you it's know, almost like to, people uh, are people. Yeah. And and shout out to uh, the director of this piece, uh, Dan Trachtenberg, who um, this is the second film we've covered for him because we yeah. did 10 Cloverfield Lane, um, which I feel like uh, looking back on it, I've grown to appreciate even more than whenever we first saw it. Um, and, the, and I will once again die on the hill that uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead needs to be in more things. Um, and except Kate, like, yeah. Oh, got Kate should have been better. Um, that's a that's a good example. One that doesn't that doesn't take the culture into consideration. Yeah, that interesting. Like interesting that that get, gets brought up because uh, Kate was kind of thinly sketched as a as a female protagonist, uh, contrasted with uh, what they did with Amber Mid Thunder here. Um, and it's not there's it's not a different in talent level because Amber Midthunder and Mary Elizabeth Winstead are both very capable of portraying a top tier level of this type of character. Um, it's just a matter of script and what the production team is willing to put their effort into. And I feel like the effort that went into this film across the board from the way that they handled uh, the design of the predator, the use of, uh, of practical prosthesis in uh, instead of going full CGI, like I know some yeah. s- some directors would have done to cut cost. Um, just the tremendous amount of effort and painstaking love that is visible whenever you watch this movie. I think I that's also, what sets it apart. Something else that I want to talk about too is it's okay to keep your action movie casts small. It's it's a limitation. Smaller, a, a smaller, yeah, a smaller cast gives us more time to get to know the characters and get to care about them. You can do an action movie with fully fleshed out protagonists, and I, that's a, this prey is a great example. Yeah, it's a uh, as I said, it's it's a limitation in some way in that um, you don't like you have cannon fodder, but you have to be very very careful about when you dispense with your cast right. because you are given with a smaller cast, you have fewer bodies to make a, to give a meaningful death. And uh, like spoiler alert, um, uh, Dakota Beavers, uh, his, his final 
confrontation and death scene with the Predator was yes. spectacular. One of the best scenes in the series uh, level good. He was, oh, he was so good. And like I said, their, uh, their sibling dynamic, they were some of the best on-screen siblings I've ever seen. And honestly, I think that is like, okay, so I talked about the painstaking love that went into this film in terms of being authentic to the indigenous, the indigenous people who made up the cast. Uh, also the tremendous amount of love and respect that the crew obviously had towards the predator franchise. And it felt like they were saying, we're going to do this one. Right. And that really comes across in the fact that there were several scenes in this movie that are instantly memorable. Um, the bear attack, um, Dakota Beaver's last stand, uh, the confrontation, the confrontation with the predator and the entire, uh, fur trapping crew, all of them, amazing scenes. They stand out. I remember them. They're vivid and wonderfully realized on film. Uh, the snake being skinned too. I thought, yes. Um, I cannot remember a single memorable moment from the predator. Not a one. I know it's been a few years since I've seen it, I, but it's also been a few years since I've seen Predator 2. And there are things that I remember specifically oh, about that. Yeah. Um, like the very end where they are all, they're all bowing to uh, to Danny Glover and give him the knife. Or sorry, the flintlock, which yeah. shows up in this movie. So we get and and I'll say this great great way of setting that up. You know, it doesn't call attention to itself. In a way where it's, it just starts screaming, origin story! It, it kind of... Yeah, moves, that moment moves, to me... You don't know. Yeah, that moment to me felt like something like, guys, we know you have sat through some utter garbage for 20 years. Here is a tasty morsel. That's what that felt like to me. It didn't, it oh. didn't feel... It was fan service, but it was really good fan service. It was, well, it was very right. well done. No, I it was it was how you do fan service because it didn't do that. This is the origin story for everything. Yeah, it just because... had the one moment that connected it back, and that was all it needed to do, and all it needed to share and accomplish, and it did it, and it did it great, and everyone went home happy, and that little girl grew up to be Beyonce. And it's it's so gratifying to me that the Predator franchise seems to be back on track if this is the direction that they're going. And it seems like Dan Trachtenberg would love to revisit the franchise and keep it going. Um, and if he, he shows the same level of respect and love and craftsmanship that we see here, I would more than love a return to the franchise. Um, whereas after, after seeing the predator, I was kind of like, um, maybe it should die. Like, the stinger for the Predator, which is the only thing that I do remember, the stupid, like, Predator Hunter mecha thing that went nowhere, um, I feel like it did nothing to pique my interest. Whereas this film, uh, this entry into the franchise, made me want more. Which is really what, if you're going to continue a series, that bottom line has to be the bar that you clear. Do I want to see more? Mm-hmm. Was it worth my time? And this one was. Uh, yeah, so. I, had, I had a lot of fun. And like you said, there's memorable moments. 
kind of like even in Predator 2, King Willie's head. Uh, yeah. Where he, he starts screaming at, and then they cut to his his head scream. That's yeah. interesting. Um and this and more than that, we've made we've made it like 45 minutes into the show without mentioning the good boy. <gasps> best dog. Best like, brother and best dog. And there were so many times throughout the film that I legitimately feared for the dog's life. And I, I now I know that's that's easy pickings. Um, there are websites dedicated to does the dog die. It's literally um, does the dog die.com being one of them. Right. But I, he, he was like, just, I, I love dogs. Like I'm a dog person. I, I love dogs. I, you know, um, and the whole way through, I couldn't help but be reminded of my own rescue dog. Like just the vibe that I was getting off of this animal. And sure enough, I, I look it up. This is not a professionally trained animal. This was a rescue dog Aww. that they found that um, would be period appropriate to live with this particular tribe. Oh wow! That, it just happened to be wandering around. Well, I—I I mean, obviously they ser- they searched it out. Um, and oh, they're I like, see. They're like they looked through, you know, as like binders of women, but it's binders of dogs. Um, and they found this dog that is, uh, <laughs> excuse me, period appropriate. And that's amazing. I feel like his presence really enhanced this movie. I, I don't know if that's just my bias, but I loved it. You know what's interesting is that the majority of people, probably including us. Wouldn't have known that that was a historically accurate dog, but it's no. the detail, it's the thought, it, it's the the carefulness and the the respect for history yeah. and time. I, I love that. And this is honestly um, watching the movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, like I said, I have an affinity for the for the Predator franchise. I was happy to enjoy a Predator movie for the first time in what feels like forever. Um, and it was one of those things where after it was over, I wanted, like, even had we not been doing a podcast about this, I probably would have looked up some behind the scenes information, some trivia. Um, if there was a making of book, it would probably be going on my shelf next to the myriad other ones that I have in my uh, in my living room at the moment. Um, I There was something that I could sense about the way that this was this was made that made it feel special. Um, and in that way, I feel like it really stands out from basically everything from alien versus predator up through the, uh, the 2018, the predator, that chunk of them trying to make predator movies didn't have half the heart and determination that this little film has. And I am, if I have one disappointment, it is that I couldn't see it in a theater. It would have been pretty great to see in theaters. Not going to lie. Yeah, this is a movie that, that I feel... That said, I also appreciate movies where I can pause and go to the bathroom. Because <laughs> I, I have a bladder the size of a lintel. So, and I, yeah. I I drink so much water already on a daily basis. So, like, movies are sometimes hell for me. Cause I I'm can like, imagine. Oh, I can't. I can't, what, I can't go, because what if I miss something important? You know, and then yeah. I start and... getting cramps, so... And the convenience of streaming at home is wonderful. And obviously the, uh, the home theater setups that most people have nowadays, they're crisp. The audio is good. Um, you're free from, uh, the distractions of other people and the dangers. And we can put on subtitles because sometimes audio is really hard to understand. The mixing is really hard to understand. 
Yes, especially in this post-Christopher Nolan world we find ourselves in. Yeah, I'm, I'm having, maybe I'm just getting old or something, but... Oh, we're definitely getting old. We are the, we are the elder millennials, and we, we demand our subtitles. Um, but no, I, I do think that there's something up with the mixing, because I was reading an article about it that said that that was, that there, it, it isn't just us. No, I don't believe it's just us. And I think that it varies wildly from theater to theater. Um, like, I will fully admit that if I have the choice of seeing a film in uh, a Dolby branded theater, I will do that because it is always uh, a superior uh, film going experience in terms of just the uh, the sound mixing is always usually on point because the upkeep is better. Um and I feel like this is a movie that would have definitely been worth seeing in a Dolby theater. Um, but yeah, not to, uh, no just to make a long, theaters. No just to make a long, just to make a long podcast short, um, Prey is probably in the top tier of films I've seen this year, theater or otherwise. Yeah, I would definitely put it up there. Just in terms of pure enjoyment. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once is still my top right now. Yeah, which I still have not seen. Oh. Um, it's, it's it's on my list I along really with... I it. That's on my list uh, along with uh, The Enormous Weight of Unbearable Talent is on there. Oh, I saw that. That was fun. But I still yeah. don't... I, I wouldn't put that necessarily on my top list the way that I would a Prey or a... Um, and Everything Everywhere All at Once or even a Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Yeah, uh, I still need to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I also need to see X and Pearl. Um, I do too. I, I, I missed X in theaters, and so I. Need I've also heard really good things about uh, Barbarians, but yeah, what I have heard about Barbarians is that you like to go in knowing as little as possible about it. That is what I have heard. Um, I've also heard that it is absolutely terrifying. So there's no way I'm getting Tori into the theater with me. Like it was a miracle I got her to see Nope. Um, Nope but, would be another one that I would put up. Put it, yeah, put Nope it. is definitely in the top tier. I really, really enjoyed Nope. So I'll, um, I'll say this. like it, it, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies also, it, it's probably weird that I would mention that, but it hit me in some really personal ways because a lot of the people that they're satirizing and making fun of in the movie are people that I know. Yeah. And, That's what and they heard. are very, 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 like, unrelenting towards these sort of people that, like, weaponize social justice language for personal gain mm -hmm. and things. And I was like, I'm so glad that this is being made by somebody who's not doing it as a, oh, look, this person cares about social justice. Isn't that gross? Like, ew, social justice. It was literally some, it, you could tell it was made by somebody who gives a shit and is not happy about the way that social justice language is used for people to victimize themselves when they are not the victims. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to have to check that out at yeah. some point. And I, um, not a spoiler. You can pretty much glean that from the trailers. Yeah. I, I kind of had picked up on that. And I'm, I'm glad that at least recently I've uh, had a spate of movies that I've greatly enjoyed and would uh, also enjoy revisiting. Um, that having been said on the slate for next week is, uh, quite possibly what I, what I believe to be the nadir of 2022, the absolute depths of where 
pop culture has completely drained something dry, which is uh, we're going to be looking at the extended edition of Jurassic World 3, which I don't know if you uh, have seen the original version, Meredith, but uh, yeah, it's strap in. If you thought our Fallen Kingdom episode was wild, this one's going to get, oh Lord. I, where can I watch the extended edition? I will get it to you. Yeah, because I'm like, I didn't know that was even coming out. Yeah, the, it's an, ex, an extended edition of the film. There's 15 additional minutes. It's a lot to, it's a lot to process. Um, I feel like do we I do occasionally. Need, do I also need to rewatch the original Jurassic Park 3 for comparison's sake? I would not. I would not do that. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, the, just every once in a while, like we tend to focus on the things that we do know and love, but um, we have always said that this is a podcast about looking at pop culture and media through a critical and analytical lens. And so I want to try to do that with a film that seems to be made to defy traditional criticism and analysis. It is quite possibly the stupidest film I have ever subjected myself to. And I have seen all nine fast movies and the spinoff. Those were bad though. They were not bad, but they were They're a level like of stupid that I thought was insurmountable until I witnessed Jurassic World 3. But, but they also lean into that. So there's a difference, I think, between like just knowing that you're big, stupid fun and enjoying it and having fun with it and being self-aware about it, and then not that. So um, let, uh, me, let, let me preface it by saying Jurassic World is not that. Okay. But I mean, I feel like the Fast movies, I, I, I didn't watch them and think, this is stupid, stupid. I thought, well, this is, this is big, silly fun. It's not my style of fun, but I can definitely see where the fun comes in, and I appreciate that this exists, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And we'll probably get into a whole discussion about that next week, but before we get to that, let's wrap things up. Are you sure we're even going to talk about Jurassic Park, or are we just going to talk about tangent stuff i mean we can rename the podcast to the tangent zone if you want but no because i think pop and Sh- because no i think pop and schlock i was really clever when i came up with the title for this podcast you really, pat, you really were i i do feel pat myself on the back for that one um but before we get out of here are there any last minute things that we didn't cover that we want to talk about before we get out of here because i think i hit all my notes watch it in comanche if you can better representation for indigenous people um, support indigenous art and talent. Um, if if you want to give land back, I am all for that too. So, yeah, I feel I feel like that's a good place to end on. Um, this is there's a lot of positives to take away from this movie. Um, I recommend it, Meredith. I know you recommend it. Oh yeah. Um, as both a both. A, if you're a fan of the Predator franchise or if you're looking to get into it, I feel like you'll appreciate it more if you have seen at least the original Predator, but I don't think that that's a prerequisite. So if you want to jump right in with this, uh, yeah. I think you will be more than happy with it. Um, so, yeah. And um, also, Predator 2 is better than people give it credit for. Yeah. I think it's very Honestly, important that we say that. Yeah. Yeah. 
justice for Predator 2. Let's just throw that out there. Um, Yeah, so thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, We will definitely see you next week. Um, I'm going to knock on wood and hope that we don't get diverted again. Um, But that is the plan. The plan is to resume our regular recording schedule. We have set up a Patreon, which uh, will be linked in the... uh, in the information for this episode. So if you would like to support the show, that is a good way to support us. Yes, uh, but you can also, because we do rent or actually physically go to the movies. So your support on Patreon actually does help with offset the costs because we don't have corporate sponsors at the moment and we don't have critical access. We watch it on our own dimes and, um, so if you would, it would, it would help us out, especially uh, given that we are about to get into yet another recession, which should be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So this, this helps ensure that we are able to afford the upkeep and cost for this series. So thank you in right. advance. Right. Yeah. So if you are interested in helping to support the show and helping us grow and continue to put out the content that we do, please check out our Patreon. The details are on our Facebook page. Uh, you can just search Pop and Schlock there. You can also look for us on Twitter and Instagram. Our uh, handle there is at Pop Schlock Pod. Definitely give us a follow. Um, find us on some. Excuse me, Lord. Oh, are you okay? um, I've got acid reflux today. Oh, shit. That's the worst. Which. We've already said it. I'm getting old. I don't need to talk about it. But yeah, um, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review. It helps us get more visibility, and we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for your support throughout everything. Uh, We will see you next week. And you'll be able to buy Jake some Tums so he can talk for longer. Yeah, I don't know if Tums is going to be enough to help me through this one. But uh, yeah, that's... uh, Maybe I'll just put a tier on the Patreon that's, like, specifically for buying my medicinal... Oh my uh, god, you should! It's like, pay for for Jacob's medical bills because he doesn't live in Canada. Um, I... I, You should have just a tier for, like, let Meredith buy caffeine because she got laid off. (laughs) Oh, lord. Why does the end of our podcast always get super depressing? Oh, Jake's got health problems. Meredith can't keep a job. The sky is falling. I can keep a job. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, guys, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Night. Thank you.